This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome everybody. It is the Tuesday edition of Talk Back, and it's brought to you by our friends at Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. Come on by for all your New York favorites. They have locks, they have New York cheesecake, cannolis, they've got it all at Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, located on North Reserve. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial. They offer residential and commercial cleaning, so whether it's your home or your business, no job is too big or small for Phillips Janitorial. Here's the number. It's 260-6617. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, welcome, everybody. Glad to have you along this morning. Nick Christensen in his assigned place right over there. Good morning. That no one else would dare. Oh, to people, try to. <laughs> people would dare. <laughs> if you dare. Mm. All right, it's Nick over there. I'm Peter, and uh, glad to have you along this morning. It is open phones. We are expecting some special guests in the studio, but they will get here when they get here. Yeah. But we already have uh, Colonel Tim on the line, we so do. let's let's jump right in there. Colonel Tim Gardaby, good morning, sir, and thanks for calling. Yes, good morning, Nick. Good morning, uh, Peter. Yes. Uh, well, anyway, you had open phones yesterday, and... Uh, there's lots to talk about, lots of big things happening in the uh, national scene. But uh, anybody, if anybody's been watching the news, uh president gave a little uh, response uh, when he was in California a few days ago. He said, uh, when he was asked about uh, top secret material, he said, there's no there there. So... Uh, he left himself open. I just had to write a poem, so <laughs> I can't wait. I'm glad. This is great. Go ahead, Tim. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Biden fella says no, there, there. Why? That's a question we should ask all our leaders, especially lifelong politicians. Where is the there? Why are you here? How did you get here? Why are you putting us through this? No, there, there, says Biden fella. His son is where, that's why. And it's there. His son, Hunter, makes money for him. Where? A lusty laptop shows the world where there is. Is there no there, there? We all know where. No, there, there. Yet the 2020 election investigation has still not decided election fraud is there. But it's there. The people do not like your poor leadership there. The people do not like your poor health anywhere. The people do not like your failed gray matter, whatever is there. The Biden fellow says there is no there there. Yet top secret material is scattered everywhere. In the garage, Penn State, old office, even in the ugly green vet that has not been converted to electric yet. Our national secrets have taken a spin. It's a felony crime, Joe, and you're not going to win. The evidence is damning. It's piling up by the minute. Soon comes an orange jumpsuit, and the Bidens will be in it. That's my poem for this morning. Wow. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I, I can see you spent a lot of time on that, Colonel Tim. Thanks for sharing it with us. Okay, you bet. Take, take care. Thanks so much for calling. All right, let's uh, get Mr. Wingnut. Mr. Nutt, good morning. You're on Talk Back. Hi. Well, good morning. It looks like some folks have their Dr. Seuss, and we have our Colonel Tim. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, are, are you familiar with the, the acronym FUD or FUD? Um, no, I'm not. It, it stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Okay. And it, it's a it's a tactic that is commonly used when um, individuals do not have a rational or cogent um, <laughs> assessment to make, you know, to to offer in a, in a discussion. Uh, not an issue, and, and just a couple recent examples that you know to demonstrate is, you know, not long ago we had uh, folks who were 
uh, besides himself with concern that unless we immediately elected a House Speaker, um, that you know, the Republic was in dire straits. Or that even the more ludicrous is that there would be a Democrat elected as Speaker of the House. Bowen provided the opportunity to you know, get to detail what they didn't like about the concessions or the rules that were, were granted. You know, they were silent. Another example would be uh, the what I call the Tenth Amendment folks, the JBS, John Birch Society folks, and, and the use of the Tenth Amendment um, to spread FUD, FUD, about uh, the Convention of States, which has clearly been used in the past and has not uh, endangered the Constitution. But yesterday we had another prime example of FUD hitting the airwaves here, and that was over the... Uh, Miscarriage and women being legally charged. And so that is a clear case of fun. And so I would like to offer that individual the opportunity to show where a person has ever been charged with a natural miscarriage or um, legally malfeasance, I guess I'll put it that way or to demonstrate where any of the legislation that is being proposed in any state which would make that person um, culpable of malfeasance. You know, a miscarriage is a horrendously unfortunate Oh, it's, heart, it's heartbreaking, yeah. Oh, Absolutely yes. heartbreaking. You know, my, mom actually, my mom actually had two of those, and, and it is profoundly sad. Uh, but... In many ways, it's just God's way of saying, you know, this is, you know, it's it's time to take this one home. You know, no different than cancer or you know, other very unfortunate things that, that happen in life. So anyway, that's my FUD report for the day. All right. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, and Elmer would be proud. We're going to come <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, it's it's eight forty. Uh, stay with us. It's open phones for the next few minutes until nine o'clock, and then our friend Rob Nadelson is scheduled to be with us in the studio. We're also expecting guests from the city, Jenny Miriam and our mayor Jordan Hess, uh, to give us some uh, very important information about a program that we'll be continuing. So all that's coming up here on Talkback. Attention, Montanus. Back, uh, talk back continues uh, for open phones. Let's, I believe we have Kevin waiting. Uh, Kevin, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on talk back. What's on your mind, sir? Oh, good morning. Uh, what's on my mind is I just want to touch base about the uh, recent news that uh, Denny's has closed yes. uh, their operation here. Yes, yes. Um, and I, the reason why I want to touch base with that is this is uh, the result of our, uh, of our president. Um, the Democrats, um, it happens every cycle. There's Democrats that come in and prices go up and businesses have to close. Um, it's also due to uh, mismanagement of this Denny's. Uh, I don't know when it was last time any of you, um, you or Nick, have been into Denny's, but it's been the a atmosphere has yeah. totally changed in there. I mean, it's that you don't feel welcome. The hospitality wasn't there. Um, you can probably blame it on bad training, bad management, uh, or a combination of the corporate mentality. But um, it's not, it doesn't have a, uh, anything to do with the price of eggs that have gone up. It's just that the cost of doing business, you can't, you know, when the numbers don't lie. And it's sorry, it's sorry to say that they have uh, closed their doors, but there's also local businesses that do serve up delicious breakfasts in Missoula that's available. All right, Kevin, thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to say, I actually used to live right by there while I was still going to school. So we used to go quite a bit and it was, it was great. My, uh, my cousin worked there actually for years and years and years. She was a server and, you know, she loved working there and she only left, um, cause she had to move. Um, but yeah, it was weird. I, I kind of agree with Kevin ever since. And that was like, I want to say, six or seven years ago, I guess. But, but yeah, ever since I then moved, I'd only been in there a couple of times, but the couple of times I went, it did, it just kind of felt different. So, well, I, I, I will say, uh, one, I think it was, it was either Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. Okay. And, uh, our, our family, our extended family were, 
uh, we, we were supposed to go to some event that, that didn't happen, so uh, we're all hungry. So oh, we, we we went into it, it was just it was just about oh, I don't know it was just before midnight, right? It was late, oh, and, yeah. and 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 so uh, <laughs> we we decided to have breakfast. And uh, I I went in there with my memories of of the Denny's that you described, right? Yeah, with yeah. Uh, with really nice people and da 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 da, and took a while for us to get served. And when we did get served, oh my heavenly days! Oh, <laughs> it, it was not yeah not up to par. Yeah, so it it has become the stuff of legend in our house. But I I, I feel bad, I feel bad for for the folks at at Denny's who do that. Hi, oh there she is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, we have guests in the studio. The Natalsons are here. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I, I really feel uh, bad for the for for the people that work there. Uh, the fact that they no longer have jobs. Hopefully, they will be able to. Uh, there, there are lots of places in Missoula that are looking desperately for, for good servers and people who enjoy providing good service. So. You got to pay them enough, though. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, well, I hear you. Part yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and for, the, for for those of us, if you understand how things work, and you want good service, you have to be willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can't just expect you know a hundred percent service when you're not willing to shell out a couple of bucks. Yeah, especially it, with tipping. Well, yeah, and the, yeah, you bring up tipping. I mean, a server's not just going to take a job if they're they know they're going to make. So little money, but then have to depend on good tips too, because it's you know people aren't tipping as much these days either, because people you know don't have as much money to tip these days well, too. So even if you're a great server, you're not guaranteed to make great money. Allow me to share this. This this was part of our money page report uh, just before eight o'clock. Uh, it said, "Is tipping getting out of control?" Many consumers say yes across the country. This is from the wires of the Associated Press. Anyway, across the country, there's a silent frustration brewing over the ever-presence of tipping. Some fed-up consumers are posting rants on social media complaining about tip requests at drive throughs while others say they're tired of being asked to leave a gratuity for a muffin or a simple cup of coffee at their neighborhood bakery. As more businesses adopt the digital payment method, customers are automatically being prompted to leave a gratuity at places they normally wouldn't. Some say it has become more frustrating as the price of items has skyrocketed due to inflation, which finally eased to about 6.5% in December, but still remains painfully high. For workers, though, the surge in tip requests is a welcome development. Yeah, well, I mean, you you know, there's there's a bunch of places here locally in town where, you know, it's that white, like, uh, touchpad screen. It's like a little thing that right. they can swivel right in front of you, and right. you, you can choose whether to tip or not. But, I mean... Those things are all over the place now, and you're just you're just going to pick up a sandwich or something, right? right? And then you're, you know, most people are feel like they should tip in that situation. I tip in that situation, but then there's a lot of people that see that and they're like, "Well, what am I tipping for? I'm here. I'm grabbing my own food. I'm not, you know, no one's serving me." And yeah, you get fast food places like uh, what's the one? Uh, Frugals has that. Mm-hmm. They got the little thing that they hand you, right? right. And you can tip them right there, and you know, if people give you the option to tip, most people will. But but yeah, I mean. Uh, these fast food places are starting to get smart to it. So. Well, I, I will tell you one quick story. Uh, I went into a restaurant, uh, a local restaurant just out of town, and um, uh, I, I had I had breakfast. The server was absolutely fantastic, you know, just prompt and friendly and nice and all that. But the food came to my table ice cold, uh, right? Yeah. Now we're, we're talking cold, you know, whatever. And so when when the meal was over, I I, I paid the bill, and then I, I I called the gal over, and I said, "Look, I'm going to give you a very nice tip because you were wonderful, but you need to know what happened to my table today." And right. so she took it very well, and I, I I hope I handled that appropriately. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Well, and, and certain places are different too, right? There's tip sharing, so like right. some some places where. It's a pool. All the servers, you know, however many tips are made that night, it's split evenly. Some people, right. they get their own tips. It just depends on yeah. the business that you work for. So hopefully for that establishment, she got her own tips and didn't have to tip share you because bet. she earned it. So. Well, we're up against a break. We have we have the mayor and Ginny Miriam both here to, to visit and share a few things. So we're going to get to that right after this quick timeout. Stay with us. This is Talk Back. We'll be right back. November. Before I was adopted, I felt alone. After spending years in foster care, 
Lexi worried that she and her brother were too old to be adopted. Thankfully, the siblings were adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. I love teenagers. To see how brave Lexi was and how she opened herself up to being in a family, all of a sudden, she's holding my hand and calling me mom. It was really special. Every child, no matter their age, deserves to grow up in a safe, permanent home. Children at every age experience challenges. Teenagers are more complex than young children, but in the best ways. You're never too old for family. Learn how you can help children still waiting to be adopted from foster care at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Okay, we are back on Talk Back, and joining us here in the studio this morning, Mayor Jordan Hess. Uh, Your Honor, good to have you. Well, it's better when your microphone is in the on position. There we go. Some people might disagree with that. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, there we go. So, so uh, first of all, tell us why you're here today. Yeah, well, we have an event tomorrow night. It's a, a monthly forum that I do with the public at the Missoula Public Library. Um, every month we have a topic of discussion, and this month it's the acquisition of the historic federal building in downtown Missoula. Uh, so we can have uh, folks come. Uh, they can join in person. They can join online. We take questions from the in-person crowd and from the virtual audience. Audience and uh, and get those questions answered, whether it's on the federal building or or another topic of city government. Now, for for those who are not familiar with this acquisition, maybe just moved to Missoula and wondering what in the world you're talking about. If you could just kind of give us a brief history, absolutely. So the the historic federal building in downtown Missoula was built uh, starting in 1913, and it housed federal government and operations. I, I was there. But... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. And it, it housed... I'm sure you. Were <laughs> Go ahead. It, it housed uh, federal government operations uh, since. Since 1913, uh, it's been vacant, largely vacant since 2015, and the federal government has a program where they give these surplus properties to local governments. So it's a free building, um, it's in great shape, and it will meet the next couple decades of local government space needs. So why does the public care about that? I think it's um, it's uh, an opportunity for city and county government to really provide a higher level of public service. Uh, whether you're coming in to pay a water bill or coming in to get a building permit, um, we can really transform that into a a public service, customer service oriented environment. Now, what what is the, the the basic difference? The big difference between City Hall as we know it right now and and this new building. How will it improve things? City Hall was built in the 1960s. They didn't really build buildings to last um, like they did um, in 1913. So, um, City Hall is about 50,000 square feet. Um, it is. It is full. Uh, we currently lease a bunch of private space adjacent to City Hall downtown. Um, so city offices are spread throughout downtown. The federal building is 150,000 square feet. So it's three times the size. Um, it's built to last and it'll take care of us um, for many decades to come. And I'm sure that, that you've been busy already with the architects, you know, drawing out where all these various offices will be because you, you've known you're going to be doing this for a long, for quite a while. Yeah, we ex- expect several months of design processes. Um, we're not doing a lot of uh, renovations to the building. Really, it'll be um, kind of backbone uh, safety and, and uh, physical upgrades to the building. So we'll be upgrading electrical. We'll be doing asbestos and lead abatement, uh, things like that. Um, but we're in a real um, early level design phase right now to understand um, exactly what needs to be done in order to move in there. Okay, so Tuesdays with the mayor, it began with your predecessor. It's, the, Wednesdays. Well, oh, oh. It's, it's Wednesdays. It's Wednesdays. It's Wednesdays. It's tomorrow okay. night. Okay. <laughs> it's Wednesdays with the mayor. Yeah, okay, so there you go. It's Wednesday night. That, that's um, why I'll go and there no, won't be anybody there. <laughs> it's, the, it's the fourth Wednesday of the month and it's okay. uh, 6 p.m. at the Missoula Public Library and it streams online on the MCAT Facebook page. Um, there's an opportunity to call in and ask questions or um, to come to come in person. It's a good informal discussion, and it's it's a lot of fun. And I understand that our our, our colleague right next door, Dennis Bragg, is going to resume his duties as the as the master of ceremonies. Right? Yeah, so he um, he keeps the wheels on the bus and keeps us uh, keeps us on topic and asks good questions, and it's um, uh, it's a fun event. Now, why is it important for the public to come to this? Well. It's important for the public to know that their local government is accessible. Uh, and so it's an opportunity to um, to sit in the same room and have a dialogue. Uh, we may not always agree on everything in our community, but we're a small town and we're a town where um, we can have a dialogue and we're better for that dialogue. So this is an opportunity to engage. It's an opportunity for us to meet each other. It's uh, an opportunity to um, 
build a relationship, and it's an opportunity to, to get to know what the city's doing. That That is often a complaint in, in, in medium-sized cities such as ours that, uh, gee, I, I'd love to talk with the mayor, but he's, he's ne- he or she is never accessible or available, and, and I try to call and blah, blah, that sort of thing. This, this is something where you can actually come meet face-to-face. Yep, absolutely. All right. Will, will there be cookies and coffee? There will. There will be cookies and coffee. <laughs> we have cookies. All right, all right. Well, they're not my wife's. We, they're not my so wife's cookies. Word so may have gotten around. Yeah. We had a cookie ordering malfunction last time, but oh, we, we, I've been assured that we have cookies and coffee this time. Well, we will. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, using your executive powers. Ginny, Ginny, get the get the cookies. All right. Well, thank you both for coming. It's uh, I appreciate it. Tell us again when and where. So it's it's Wednesday uh, tomorrow at at six p.m. at the Missoula Public Library downtown on the fourth floor. Excellent. Mayor Hess, thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for coming in. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. We we are going to take a commercial break here, and uh, we're going to come right back uh, after the top of the hour, because we have with us, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, the one and only Rob Nadelson from the Independence Institute. Uh, Rob is usually on the phone with us, but uh, he and his lovely wife are joining us here in the studio uh, to uh, talk about all sorts of things. So the phone lines, are, we're going to be open here in just a minute. And uh, if you want to get in line to talk with Rob and uh, if you have questions or comments, be sure to give us a call at 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. By the way... If you don't have the KGVO app on your smartphone, it's a good idea to get that right now or any of your mobile devices. Just go uh, to the App Store, download the KGVO app. There are opportunities for you to make comments. Plus, there's an opportunity there for you to win bagels. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, there's that button on the app right there. It's a knife and fork, and you have a chance to win bagels for your office uh, every Friday. You do it is for your business. It's for your work. But yeah, every every Friday we pick a winner for that. We will be right back and uh, talk with Rob Nadelson in the next hour. I'm Chris Jackamick. I served in the United States Air Force and I deployed three times. So in 2017, I was serving as an Air Force First Sergeant. Our motto in that role is my job is people. Everyone is my business. But unfortunately, in that year, I would lose my own brother, Lance Corporal Adam Jackamick, to suicide. The majority of veteran suicides are from guns. I store my weapons securely, not only for myself, but for my family. Store all your guns securely. Help stop suicide. My service never stops. Brought to you by N Family Fire and the Ad. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO. Missoula's News and Weather Station. Hey, welcome everybody. It is hour number two of Talk Back, brought to you this morning by Phillips Janitorial, where they offer both residential and commercial cleaning. And remember, no job is too big or small. So no matter the size of your house or your business, call them for a free estimate. Phillips Janitorial, 260-6617. Also brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery with authentic New York bagels and pastries, all the way from Little Italy. It can be found in Missoula on North at Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, we are thrilled to have with us in the studio for the first time in a long time, uh, Dr. Robert Nadelson. How are you, sir? I am great, and it is great to be back in Montana where freedom is still legal. <laughs> as far as we know. I, what I'm griping about is that in Colorado, where I'm living right now, the... Um, Hard left has taken over the state legislature and the governor's office, and they have been regulating the heck out of what was once a very freedom-loving state. My last two articles are actually about the state's plastic bag laws. They're moving to ban all plastic bags at point of sale. So you can still carry your – in fact, you're also going to be even charged for paper bags, but it's okay because you can still carry your your groceries home and – Hempen bags, if you can afford the, either the bags and the groceries. So uh, I'm in a I'm in a bad mood about that, but I'm in a very good mood about being back in Montana. All right, well, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. Well, believe it or not, uh, we have we have several folks who are already waiting to visit with you, Rob. So, uh, but are there any opening statements you want to make before we go to the phones? As unaccustomed as, as I am to public speaking, no. <laughs> right. And here's that 10 bucks I owe you. All right, let's get let's get Paul on the line. Paul, good morning. You are on with uh, Dr. Rob Nadelson. Go ahead. 
That's great. Thanks. Thanks for being on. Um, Hi, Paul. My question, I'll just read, read what I have written since I senses are hard unless I have it written. Um, when does the line of government versus private organizations get blurred and the history of that in terms of the Constitution, whether it's like nonprofits, private government pot- partnerships, um, NGOs, and, and then the bill and, and how does the Bill of Rights affect private companies as far as contracts versus coercion or hidden clauses? I saw your question is how the Bill of Rights affects private companies? And rather, is there a distinction between government and the and and the private companies as far as the Bill of Rights? Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm assuming that has to do with contracts, and but I'm thinking contracts and coercion. Yeah. Um, and that blurred line between the two. Well, the first question is really a historical one. That is to say, Thanks, Paul. What, what really is the history be- in the blurring between private and public? There's always been some connection between private and public. You go back to ancient Rome, you know, (laughs) one of my favorite historical topics. Uh, There was extensive contracting by the government with private companies um, for for various purposes, construction, bringing bringing grain in from uh, other parts of the empire to feed the Roman populace and so forth. The kind of blurring that we see today, what is euphemistically called the public-private public-private partnership is really largely a product of the 20th century. And it it actually was characteristic of fascism. Um, the fascists saw the private and public sectors not as divided particularly, but really as part of an organic whole. And so many of the uh, deep connections, for example, the connection between the Biden administration and social media in censoring people, that that really harks back uh, to fascism. Um, the other question on the Bill of Rights is somewhat complicated. Generally, the Bill of Rights does apply to business entities. So, for example, if a business wants to express its views uh, in the public square, they have the protection of the First Amendment. However, the Supreme Court has held, and I think unjustifiably, that commercial speech, speech advertising, for example, is entitled to a lower level of protection uh, than 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 political speech. Another area where the where private companies often can can claim the protection of the Bill of Rights is in takings. If a private company owns uh, a plot of land, it's taken by the government, or they own some portfolio of stocks that becomes useless as a result of government government action, they've got a potential claim under the under the 12th, under the, uh, uh, under the fifth amendment. And so, uh, then there are other aspects of the Bill of Rights that don't really apply to private companies. For example, um, uh, trial by jury for a crime committed by an individual. Is it really applicable to a private company? All right. Let's, uh, let, let, we have time for another call before we take a break. Skip is on the line. By the way, several lines open for Rob Nadelson at 721-1290. He's here in the studio. Okay. Skip, go ahead. Good morning, sirs. Hi, and Skip. Morning, How are you? Nice to hear hear your voice again. And that you're in the studio, um, I wanted to remind you that it was about exactly a year ago that we were discussing that you would be making a tour in Montana of, to to give seminars on convention of states. And and actually now there's a there's a bill in the house that I I think uh, is maybe got a little more traction than the last time it was. I think Senator McGilvray is probably bringing it. I, and I, I talked to two legislators last night that, to, to, to get a little report on it, and it's, it's, it's still in the, in the Labor and Business Committee in the Senate. And there's, there's, uh, that committee has uh, more people in favor of it, apparently, than, than not. So it might go to the floor soon. But I wanted to, to ask you while you're in town or while you're in Montana, um, I knew you were going to possibly even move to Helena and, and write a book on history. And then also, while you're here, are you going, if you're, if you're not already living here, are you going to be going to the session to, to, um, just, you know, go to Helena because we only get three months every two years. Yeah. And I'll, I'll leave it. There. It's nice <laughs> to hear your voice. Thank All right. You. Thank, thanks for the call. Okay. Steve. Well, what the caller was referring to regarding the tours, I, on behalf of the Convention of States movement, I spoke in several different 
Montana cities last year. Um, I no longer have a professional connection with the Convention of States movement because I retired from that kind of work. Uh, I still am strongly in favor of what they're what they're trying to accomplish. My understanding is that there was or will be an effort in the legislature to try to take uh, Senator McGovery's resolution and send it to a, a kill committee. I haven't heard that that's been successful. Uh, and the answer is no, I have no particular uh, plans to go to Helena to testify. I have talked to my wife about the possibility of planting myself in Helena for about nine months, maybe to do a, a history of Montana. The last history, uh, last comprehensive history of Montana was written in um, 1976, uh, and it was revised in 1991, which is over 30 years ago now. And all of the histories have certain biases which bother me as a historian. I'd like to see it, like to see a more uh, objective history written. But that's still something that's on the coffee table percolating. How's that for a metaphor? <laughs> all right. Here, we, we, we are up against a break. 721-1290 is our number. Joining us in the studio for the first time, and, and we are delighted to have uh, the, the Nadelson, well, not all the Nadelson family, but the two most important members here with us in the studio. Uh, 721-1290 is our number. We, we have several lines open. We could, we'll get Emmett's call when we come back right after this. For over 100 years, Missoula's office. And we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. And uh, Rob Nadelson joining us here in the studio taking your phone calls. Uh, let's do that right now. Emmett has been waiting the longest. Emmett, good morning. You're on with Rob Nadelson. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. Well, um, if you'll please excuse me, the listening audience, I know I'm a broken record and I've been beating a dead horse for this for a few weeks now. But I've really got to you know, ask you, Mr. Rob, um, you know, about this question. It's a constitutional question. I think I know your answer, but it has really been really upsetting and disturbing me. Um, it was on Fox News. There's a bill, briefly, there is a bill in Congress right now to limit free speech. I'm not a racialist. I think racialism is odious. Um, um, but at the same time, to make a long story short, it would criminalize white supremacy. If you have a white supremacist newspaper, you're going to jail. This would be a thought crime. A white supremacist flyer or anything on the Internet, the FBI will look at you with possible criminal charges. I'm against racialism, but this is the slippery road to big brother government where free speech is destroyed. They can go after them. They can go after all of us, even just um, talking on a talkback show like this. And if you say anything against this, the left says you're a racialist just to attack you and demonize you if you're not going along with Big Brother. Uh, Rob, how do we fight against this? Because this is clearly unconstitutional. That's my soapbox rant for the day. I could go on for hours and flip out about this, but I'll let you speak. Please, uh, yeah, what do you think? Well, thanks, you're, thanks, Emmett. You're talking, uh, thanks for calling, Emmett. You're talking about the bill introduced by Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. Um, I read the bill a few, a few days ago. Essentially what it says is that if somebody commits a crime, it has to be an established crime of the white supremacist or hate nature. Uh, and that person has read somewhere an article or a production written by a second person, uh, that a reasonable individual would think might have motivated the crime, then the two of them are guilty of conspiracy. So what that effectively means is that if I write an article and it gets posted, let's say, to the Epic Times and someone else reads it and goes wacko and kills a black person, it doesn't work for whites, it only works for blacks, uh, kills a black person and it's determined that that's a white supremacist crime, and a prosecutor decides that my article might have had some connection with that, then we're guilty of conspiracy, even though I actually never intended a crime to be committed, nor that I ever meet the perpetrator, or do I even know the, who the perpetrator is. The bill is flagrantly unconstitutional. Emmett, I don't think it's getting, getting anywhere in Congress. I don't think you have to worry about it. Uh, 
Representative Sheila Jackson Lee is not the most popular person in Congress anyway. Uh, there's a Republican majority. However, your concern is justified for this reason. It underscores a point I've been making for years now, including on this show, is that there is a significant part of American life right now which is really totalitarian. I mean, there may not all be hard totalitarians that want to lock people up in concentration camps, but, they, but they're totalitarian in the sense that they don't think there are any limits in government and they're willing to use government as a tool for their own whims. It's a kind of a scary scenario. We have faced it before in American history. To deal with it, we've first got to acknowledge that it exists. These are not your granddaddy's liberals. Where, where, where specifically do you see that happening? I'm sorry. Uh, as, as far as the danger that you're that you're mentioning, where is there a specific? You mean the, the, the totalitarian? Right, it's yeah. in every aspect of American life now. I mean, uh, there was an attempt to by the Mars Company. To, well, they did, in fact, mm. politicize M and M's. You know, um, the uh, I don't know if I would survive in the university environment today because they probably would make me sign some statement pres- uh, subscribing to a particular point of view, political point of view. Um, it is, it's in corporate America, it's in academia, it is, uh, in publishing, it's certainly in the mainstream media, it's everywhere. The, um, I, I give an example of, a, of its pervasiveness. The, the, uh, the, the Prime Minister of New Zealand announced her resignation, right, Ardhern, and she's been horrible. I mean, she's been an authoritarian, there have been various scandals involved with her. And yet the, the mainstream media love her, and so all you see in the mainstream media is praise for what a wonderful person And, and how was. brave she is. Yeah, right. This, this is a good example of this thought that just blots out all dissenting points of view. And therefore, when they do encounter a dissenting point of view, they somehow justify squashing it. Uh, Twitter uh, was another example. And with that, we're up against a break. We're going to come right back. We have Jeff and Dave, who both want to visit with Rob Nadelson. The phone's ringing here. He's only going to be with us until 10, and we deeply appreciate uh, him being uh, here with us. We're going to come right back with more of Talk Back with Rob Nadelson in the studio right after this. It's one of the hottest topics in Western Montana. How is your drive to school? Let me tell you. I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit stoptextstoprex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Okay, we're back on Talkback. Rob Nadelson from the Independence Institute here in the studio. Tell us why you're here. I think people are wondering, why is Rob in studio today? Mm. Well, besides the fact we love being here, there's a more serious reason, and that is the passing of Linda Fry. Uh, Linda was a fellow faculty member at the University of Montana. She was there, I think, for over 30 years. She taught in the history department. She was an outstanding scholar. She and her twin sister, Marsha, have written a long series of articles of books, uh, particularly on uh, 18th century diplomacy and on the French Revolution. Um, Linda uh, lived here in Missoula for obviously for a very long time since she, she was at the university for such a long time. She ran for a state legislature in heavily Democratic district at one point did not make it, unfortunately, although she would have turned the state upside down. She was a very feisty individual. She also um, was the president of the faculty senate, so she was popular at the University of Montana, but she was also a conservative, as a matter of fact, which is difficult. It's difficult to be both there. Um, and she also intervened at one point in helping to save my career uh, through her testimony in the hearing I brought against the law school uh, when I had applied to teach constitutional law. The, they were then trying to keep me away from the constitutional law position uh, for all kinds of unjustifiable reason. We had a hearing. She testified on my behalf, and the testimony was absolute dynamite. So there is a, uh, there's a memorial service for her at 4 o'clock Today, it's a Turner Hall in the Dell Brown Room, and I'm here to attend that. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. All right, let's let's get back to uh, to our calls. Jeff has been waiting the longest. Jeff, good morning. You're on with Rob Nadelson. Thanks. Hey, salve, amicus. Salve, salve, amicus. Abika. <laughs> uh, a comment and then a, a kind of a question and then a request. Um, the first one it has to do with the Convention of States. I've kind of gotten more involved with it in the last couple of months and. As I talk to them uh, and, and learn more, um, it seems that there's a, uh, I would have to call it a uh, cognitive dissonance between uh, two parts that they say simultaneously. One is that uh, one of the leaders of, of in Montana, Teresa Manzella, is the chairperson of the Freedom Caucus, says that the Constitution is you know, uh, perfect. It's not flawed as is. We don't need to amend it. We don't need to have a convention of states to propose any amendments. And in the same breath, uh, they take this perfect document and refuse to use part of it, which is the Article 5 Convention of States part. So if the document doesn't have a flaw, that means that the Convention of States isn't flawed, but they don't want to have a Convention of States because it's a flaw that will allow uh, the Constitution to be destroyed. It's strange, and isn't so, it? it? It's very, very strange. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Article 5 also specifies... Uh, go, uh, go ahead, Jeff. I just, can you comment on that? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure, it is, it is strange. Article 5 also specifies that it grants power only to adopt amendments to this Constitution, and yet they keep talking it, about it being a constitutional convention that could completely rewrite the document. Um, look, the founders were very great men, but they were men, right? They were flawed. They recognized there might be mistakes in the document. They recognized there might be new developments. They recognized that there might be misinterpretations of the document. And so they provided a way in which the people can respond through the convention process. If somebody says the Constitution is absolutely perfect and should never be changed, is that person really saying we should not have adopted the First Amendment or the Bill of Rights? Is that person saying we should go back to a situation where presidents can run for re-election until they die in office, as happened before the 22nd Amendment? And by the way, the 22nd Amendment happened only because Montana and four other states threatened a convention of the states. So I think those questions need to be asked. Are you really saying that the president should be allowed to run forever? Are you really saying we shouldn't have protection of free speech or any of the other amendments? So you're right. Article 5 is there for a purpose, uh, therefore actually for several purposes. And we're right now in a circumstance where the Convention of States process can be used for those purposes for which it was designed. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, and, and the uh, appeals to fear. I'm, I'm going to echo uh, Wingnut's earlier comment of fear, uncertainty, and, and, and doubt. The FUD argument, I think, is being employed here uh, very, you know, if you, very liberally. Jeff, if you're going to fear, what you should fear is the current federal Congress and bureaucracy, not a temporary organization with no power whatsoever other than to propose something that three-quarters of the states can accept or reject. I mean, the Convention for right. Proposing Amendments has zero power. Congress has enormous power, which it has consistently abused over the last 60 years. So if fear is on your agenda, if that's what you, that's what you want to do, then you need to fear uh, the powers that be uh, in Washington, D.C., and not some temporary body that has no power at all. Yep. I agree wholeheartedly. And, and a personal request here, uh, as you do your, your history of Montana, uh, my wife's great-grandparents, Billy and Hattie Moore, ran a station on the Benton Road, which was the road from Helena to Fort Benton. And uh, they have kind of an ignominious uh, ending in that uh, the coroner said that it was a, a uh they basically had a falling out, and uh, people came by the station and found them both dead. Apparently, they had uh, they had killed each other. Um, I I don't know if that's something that would you would want to put into your uh, wow history or not. But 
well, if I, part of Montana. Yeah, if I do this, I'll announce it loud and clear, and I will ask people, including yourself, to come forward with stories like that. Um, obviously, not all of them can get into the book, but they're the kind of information that from which good history books grow. Jeff, we're up against a break. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Appreciate it, sir. We have Dave, Catherine, and Jerry all waiting to visit with Rob Nadelson. We're going to come right back after this timeout. Square Media. And, of course, Dennis will be the master of ceremonies there. So, uh, Rob Nadelson joining us here in the studio. Before we get back to calls, a quick thing about uh, the Epic Times. Yeah, when the mayor was here, I was wondering why he didn't say he was going to use his executive power to cook up something, meaning the cookies. <laughs> wop, wop, wop. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, Epic Times. Uh, I am a weekly columnist for the Epic Times, uh, generally on legal and constitutional issues. I've got a series going on right now, which is called Ideas That Form the Constitution. And it's a series of about 22 separate articles, each one dealing with some individual or collection of individual whose ideas the founders used to create the Constitution we have today. So we started very early on with uh, uh, with some Greeks, um, Xenophon and uh, Plato and Socrates. We're now up to Machiavelli, who... People don't know this, but wrote stuff other than the prince, uh, an important treatise on Republican government. Uh, we'll be discussing John Locke, Jean-Louis Delhomme, a much lesser known figure. Uh, we've had um, uh, articles on the Roman historians Livy and Tacitus that were heavily, in, uh, uh, heavily influential on the founders. So if you pick up a copy of the Epic Times, it's they're doing it on the weekend, but it's also in the web version. And the, adver- the advantage of going to it on the web is I've got links to all the prior articles. So if you want to, you can start reading with Socrates and get right up to date with Machiavelli. I like it. Men of my generation. Yes. Uh, <laughs> would that be Socrates or Machiavelli? Uh, well, whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> let's, let's. Actually, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you knew Machiavelli, but you knew Socrates when you were a child. There you go. Right. Yeah, he yeah. was he was my tutor. Anyway, <laughs> let's get let's get Dave on the line. Dave, thanks for holding. We appreciate it. What's up? Yes. First of all, I think you would agree that that Constitution is a minimalist document, but that has very few words in it, and given to interpretation by both you and and a lot of other people. Now, you may have background for it and and look at other people's opinions, but you. You have a you have an uh, interpretation of your own, and other people have their interpretation. No, it, it's not that. It's not like that. That's a common. That's a common belief on the Constitution. I don't blame you for having it. You're right that the Constitution is a uh, relatively spare document. It's a fairly short document, but that doesn't mean that you can interpret it any way you like. The Constitution is filled with specific terms that had specific meanings, often legal meanings at the time the Constitution was drafted. Let me give you a good example on this. Uh, Necessary and proper. You know, at the end of this list of powers of Congress in Article 1, it says Congress shall make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying out other powers. For many years, people believed that that was just a a document that you could pretty much pour whatever interpretation you wanted to into it. Well, I did research, which has now been widely accepted, uh, about a decade and a half ago, which demonstrates that the phrase necessary and proper had specific legal meaning. Uh, the word necessary referred to uh, the legal document of incidents, that is principles and interests, and proper referred to the legal doctrine of fiduciary obligations. And so there are all kinds of those words all through the Constitution. There, you, it's not just my interpretation against another interpretation. There are a few parts of the Constitution that you can't argue about. That's true. But by and large, there is a correct understanding of, I would say, 90% of the document. I have a question about uh, impeachment process. Yes. Now, as far as- I'm in the beginning of studying it, and I believe eight judges were fired from their office by the impeachment process. Now, uh, they, the the process was definitely political because it was it didn't include any any uh, any uh, legal system in in their process. But I, I'm curious if any of those judges went to jail later from other you know for other charges and um yeah there was a 
there, there was a judge named Walter Nixon, uh, who was, I think, the last judge um, who was impeached. It was for bribery. I believe he did serve some kind of federal. Um, uh, he did suffer some kind of, of uh, uh, criminal sanctions as well. But I question that. Uh, Mr. Meter charged that, you know, that can mean almost anything. No, you no, say- well, that's a good example. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, the, <laughs> the t- you're f- referring to the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors as one of the two of the grounds for impeachment. That word high applies to the word misdemeanor. We know that from the founding era evidence. High misdemeanor meant something very specific at the time of the founding. High misdemeanor referred to a serious crime that was not serious enough to justify the death penalty. So bribery, which is mentioned in the Constitution, is an example of a high misdemeanor. Um, assault that does not lead to death is an example of a high misdemeanor. Arson of your own home in order to collect the uh, insurance proceeds, that's an example of a high misdemeanor. So it, uh, I, I recognize that people have argued over that, and I recognize that that was not known until fairly recently, but the term high misdemeanor had a very specific meaning in 18th century law. In fact, it was defined as such in the uh, 1778 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, there's no argument over high crimes, uh, but when you get high crimes and misdemeanors, it's almost like they're saying it twice. No, well, because the phrase is high crimes. High crimes refers to fel- felonies, okay? A high crime would be something like murder. A high misdemeanor, and again, that word high goes with misdemeanor, means a serious crime, but not serious enough to justify the death penalty. So, so the descriptive high goes to both terms. Yes, that's correct. Okay. And understand but, here that the term misdemeanor was a term that included all crimes. Today, when we use the word misdemeanor, we generally only mean lesser crimes. And it was sometimes used that way in the 18th century, too. But when you get into the actual 18th century law books, they say all crimes are misdemeanors. Some that we refer to merely as misdemeanors are not as important, but all crimes are misdemeanors. And a high misdemeanor is a heinous crime for which the death penalty is not justified. Go ahead. Well, I have another problem with with uh, the legal system and the fact that uh, the Constitution spells out it would be uh, charged by the House and prosecuted by the Senate, but yes. it doesn't have any, any say-so about having uh, the, the legal system involved in this, uh, judges ruling on whether people testify or not, and that's completely not in the Constitution. So I, I question people's right to, when it comes to firing a person from their office, that they have a right to, to run to the, the judicial system and block the, the uh, impeachment process. Tell you what, Dave, we're going to have him answer that after the break. Thank you. We have a, a whole bank of people waiting to visit with Rob. We're going to come right back, answer that question, and get as many calls in as we can right after this. Okay, we're back on uh, Talk Back. Real quickly, uh, wrapping up the conversation with Dave, Rob. When the president is impeached, the chief justice serves as the presiding officer. So that per- that doesn't bring some legal protection into it. The Constitution also says that the Senate shall try. You know, there's the word trial. That also implies a certain amount of due process. So um, how enforceable that is in the courts, I'm not really sure. But there is certainly in the Constitution an expectation of some level of due process. Not as high as in a criminal case, because all you're doing is removing somebody from office. Okay, let's get Catherine up. Uh, Catherine's waiting the longest. Catherine, go ahead. Fred, thank you for holding. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Um, There's a Supreme Court case coming up uh, that uh, involves the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment. A woman by the name of Geraldine Tyler, who's 94, um, uh, fell behind in her um, property tax. This is in Minnesota. And uh, she uh, fell behind about $2,300. Uh, with with um, fees and all that, it w- went up to about fifteen thousand. The government seized her condo, sold it, and then kept all the proceeds over and above what was owed. So the uh, co- the, the the constitutional um, part of this, I was wondering about the the Eighth Circuit um, in Minnesota said that she that there was no uh, unconstitutional action involved, that the state did have the right to do that. 
So the Supreme Court has agreed to uh, take the case. And I was wondering if you could weigh in on that, please. You know, I've not read the briefs in the case. The argument would be an Eighth Amendment argument. That is to say, no cruel and unusual punishments, no excessive bail or fines. This could be argued as an excessive fine. Um, The other side of that, and again, I'm not making a justification, but I'm saying the other side of that is that foreclosure law has traditionally been something that the states themselves have had, uh, that they set the rules on, and that the right or privilege that courts have of intervening to protect against unjust foreclosure has traditionally been just a state issue, because it's not a criminal case. See? And, and, and in this case, the, 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 the age of the, of the victim here in, it, it plays a huge part of this yeah. emotionally, yeah. just so, emotionally. So I, I can see arguments on this both ways. But I'm speaking to somebody who has not read the briefs. Right. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Jerry's up next. Hey, Jerry, you're on with Rob Nadelson. Go ahead. Hey, thank you for taking my call. I'm calling from Peoria, Arizona, where I'm wintering down here listening on your mobile app. Uh, and my, my question to Rob has to do with this con- uh, comparison between uh, Trump taking secret documents home and Biden taking secret documents home. When I first heard this, my first question was, how does a senator or vice president authorized to take secret documents to his house and uh, circulate them? And I'd like to get your opinion on this issue, if I may. Thank you, Jerry. And thanks for listening all the way. Go ahead. Yeah, there have been various efforts in the mainstream media to say, well, you know, they both misused secret documents, but Trump was worse than Biden because he had more documents and, you know, all kinds of distinctions. Like, There's another side of this, and that is the one you point out. Uh, as vice president, Joe Biden, when he took these documents, had no executive authority to do so. Uh, the president, on the other hand, is the head of the executive branch. You know, arguably, he's got a right to do whatever he wants to with, with secret documents, even maybe not with sending federal, federal law. So I think both cases have to be treated on their own merits. Um, the more interesting question to me is the political motivation behind the leaks of the Joe Biden uh, 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 misappropriation of secret documents and the, re- and the motivation for the mainstream media writing this story so heavily when they've shown absolutely no interest in far more serious things that Joe Biden has done. All right, let's uh, continue on. Harry is up next. Harry, thank you for holding. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning, Rob. Uh, Hi, Harry. How are you? Uh, good. How are you doing? Uh, the, the You've uh, compared the January 6th to the Black Lives Matter riots, but uh, I think your partisanship shows through because you're comparing two completely th- different things. I mean, the, the riots... First of all, the, the protests weren't a political protest. They were just protesting what they perceived as uh, police brutality or excessive force. And the riots themselves were separate. They, they were just a bunch of people who took advantage of, you know, a bunch of people coming together to loot and steal. And they're, they're, they're criminals. Whereas the, uh, January 6th, they actually were there. You know, they're, again, there's separate groups. There's some that were there just to, you know, uh, pr- protest, but then there's the other ones that were, were yelling "Stop the steal," which was to stop a political action, uh, legal action. That was the uh, the Congress. They didn't want the Congress to finish the the count to stop the election. So I mean, it's it is re- uh, by far uh, more serious uh, in my mind is because they were trying to actually stop the government from doing its job. Okay, thanks, Harry. So go ahead, Ron. Okay, well, okay, the Black Lives. <laughs> Black Lives Matter riots were a lot more political, I think, than than Harry stated. I mean, first off, where did the bricks come from that were piled in strategic locations so that they could be used to smash windows? Uh, Black Lives Matter itself, the organization, is a Marxist organization, according to one of its one of its organizers. They were tr- they were trying to they were not just protesting police brutality. They were also arguing in favor of defunding the police around the country. Very, very, very political. And so um, I don't think that the violence was entirely accidental. I think it was actually seamlessly part of what went on. January 6th also has to be considered on its on its uh, uh, own, own face, just as the majority of people in the Black Lives Matter demonstrations didn't actually turn violence 
violent, so the number of people who invaded the Capitol were a tiny, tiny minority of those who assembled in Washington, D.C. on that day. Um, some of them were actually waved in by the, by the cops. Um, among those people who shouted, stop the steal, I think you find a mix of motives. I'm sure there were some who wanted to close it down through violence. I, I, I would agree with that probability. But there were others who adopted a legal theory, which uh, John Eastman, who is a respected constitutional scholar, adopted, but to which I do not subscribe, that the vice president and the and the Congress just simply had the right to close down and uh, the, the the counting process for two weeks or some period of time in which they could investigate. If they're arguing stop the steal because they believe a that the election was stolen and b because uh, because there was a legal way of investigating it, there's nothing wrong with that. E- even though I think they were mistaken. Um, if for those, however, that I mentioned. Uh, for whom stop the steal meant we're going to intervene violently. There's no excuse for that. We're going to come right back after this quick timeout. Just it's a one minute timeout. Marilyn and Candy and Buck are all waiting to visit. We'll get as many calls in as we can for yeah, Rob Nadelson. We'll do our best. Right after this quick one minute timeout. On Talk Back and uh, Nick Christensen over there taking your phone calls. By the way, a very busy guy today. Uh, let's get Marilyn up first. Marilyn, you're on with Rob. Go ahead. Hi, Marilyn. Good morning. So two really quick things. The first one really quick. Uh, another patriot, Rob and Betty, did you know that Gloria Rourke had passed away? No, I didn't. Yeah, last July. Oh. July she passed away. Yeah, she had She was cancer. a great patriot. Yeah, so I wondered if you knew that. So, no. okay, I'm glad I... All right. She loved you guys. <laughs> she loved you guys. Okay, so the next question is, so... Um, the Montana Constitution. So the pro-abortion people are wanting to use the word privacy in there um, to say that they have the right to murder an unborn child. So common sense tells me, okay, we all generically have the right to privacy, but I don't have the right to privacy to go hurt or injure or let alone murder somebody. So can you address that, please? Well, I, I agree with you. agree with the latter part of your statement. But let me answer it in a more legal way, okay? The right to privacy was discussed extensively at the Constitutional Convention of 1972. It was discussed in the context of surveillance. People were concerned or purported to be concerned by the Nixon administration surveilling people. That was the discussion that that they had. When the question of abortion came up at the Constitutional Convention, um, the um, uh, the winning argument was that abortion was a matter that would be addressed by the legislature. This is at a time when Montana had one of the very strictest pro-life laws in the country. Now, I personally believe um, as a, well, not just personally, but as a constitutional scholar, I, sh- I-, I should say, that the that the understanding of the ratifiers, the voters who approve the Constitution, is more important than what people said about it on the floor of the Constitutional Convention. During the ratification discussion, there was no suggestion from anybody anywhere, as far as I can see, that this would anyway affect abortion. Um, and so people who went to vote for the Constitution, which is, as you recall, was approved by a very narrow margin, if indeed it was legally approved at all, I had a right to assume that abortion laws would not be changed as a result of the right to privacy. It was only later, after the Constitution was adopted, that kind of a double switch was was uh, was pulled by the Montana Supreme Court. And in a case called the Armstrong case, it said the right to privacy includes the right uh, to commit abortion. So um, both on the ground you stated and also on the way a constitutional scholar reads the historical record, I don't think there's any justification for saying that the Montana right to privacy should include the, quote, right, end quote, uh, to commit abortion. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Marilyn. Thanks for the call. Uh, this is Candy. Candy, good morning. You're, you're on with Rob. Go ahead. Hi, Candy. Hello, Rob. How are you? I just want good, good, good. I just wanted to say that I remember Linda Fry 
vividly. Good. And I think she testified at city council a couple times, too. And she was a firebrand. She was and, a firebrand. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, I'm sad for her passing, like Gloria's passing. And I just wanted to let you know I remember her. And she was a fine woman. Young, and she I'm also, glad you're here. She also fought her cancer far longer than she was expected to. Uh, mm. she, she was actually supposed to die years before, but she survived. And one reason I'm glad she survived is her friendship. Another reason is that just a few months ago, before she died, uh, she helped me and Marsha helped me, her sister, with uh, with a scholarly article I was writing, which, by the way, subsequently was published in a peer-reviewed British journal on uh, on the meaning of one of the Constitution's clauses. So um, I owe a lot to Linda, both on the professional and the personal level. Hey, Candy, we're good. Yes. We got to get at That's least one great. more call Bye. in. Okay, thank thank you for the call. Uh, Buck is next. Buck, we have about three minutes. Go ahead, sir. All right, well, I think Nick and Peter can verify that I can deliver a, a sound thrashing to a deceased equine. But I'll try to be a little more concise this time. Go ahead. Uh, well, the, the employees of Mountain Lion assure me that their regulation against carrying knives and guns uh, comes down from the TSA, much as did the mandate to have to wear a mask during the COVID protocols. So uh, it just bothers me that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are certainly your bailiwick. How, how does a branch of the federal government uh, prohibit me from uh, practicing uh, uh, my Second Amendment rights uh, in the original Bill of Rights in uh, uh, you know activity that does not ever leave the county of Missoula? Well, uh, their argument would be as follows. Uh, Mountain Lion is engaged in commerce. It's the kind of, meaning transportation, it's the kind of activity that affects interstate commerce, and therefore, Congress has the power to regulate activity on Mountain Line. Uh, the TSA is a delegated agent of, co of Congress, and so it could exercise that congressional power. They would say further that the Supreme Court's Heller decision, which came down in, in 2008, which determined that uh, there is an individual right to keep and bear arms, acknowledged an, ex an exception for sensitive places and that buses are sensitive places. Do I agree with that argument? No, but that—that's how they would make the argument. Well, to the that, that inter, i don't know how they could do interstate when it doesn't leave the county, and uh, air, airlines and trains allow you to to check your well, you know, look, just because it's um, inconvenient to check your weapons. The the Supreme Court has since the 1940s has interpreted the Commerce Clause in conjunction with the Necessary and Proper Clause of the Constitution to essentially give Congress. Uh, carte blanche power over the entire economy. And right now, despite all the blather about this being, quote, a conservative Supreme Court, which it's not, eight justices on the court would vote to uphold that. We have, and we have to say goodbye to Rob. So thank you so much for your call. Rob, we have exactly a minute. Uh, wrap up. Well, it's been a pleasure being here. I love coming to Missoula, and I love being in studio, and I love talking to your uh, studio audience. Well, they obviously uh, love talking to you, thank too. Thank you. <laughs> um, if you want to know more, you can uh, check out my book, The Original Constitution, what it actually said and meant on either Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Uh, in addition to that, you can go to independenceinstitute.org. Uh, where all my writings appear, and the Epic Times, oh, and the Epic Times as well for the for the weekly uh, columns on the Constitution. Rob, Betty, thank you so much for stopping. Really appreciate it, and thank you for all your calls, by the way. So, Nick, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous program? Uh, Bob Seiden Schwartz from the Montana World Affairs Council, and we'll have a special guest. All right, all right. Thank you much, uh, so much for joining us, everybody. Appreciate it. Please drive safely out there. We'll see you tomorrow morning, uh, bright and early, for another exciting edition of uh, Montana Morning. And until then, you uh, have a great day. Bye-bye.